Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to episode five, where we're sitting fuming in the ladies' room because one of the toilets is overflowing, metaphorically. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. This has to be the best episode of all time, since there's been so many technical difficulties. So many technical difficulties. Like, we're out of toilet paper, there's no tampons in the thing. I mean, there's never tampons in the thing ever anymore. Have right, you ever but gone? your girlfriend doesn't have one either. Right, right. Yeah, like neither one of us have a tampon. The toilet's blocked. The sink is broken. <laughs> this is what's happening in the ladies' room today. <laughs> and, That's at least a good sequel to In the Meadow of the Ladies' Room today. This is what's happening. <laughs> so we were just talking. I'm not going to recreate that whole thing. We've said it twice, and I'm not going to fucking say it again. <laughs> we, <laughs> the first time we tried to do this, We had some technical problems, but also Allie's diffuse attention, which is a girly thing, which we I do want to talk about that a little bit. She was connecting the dots of so many things at once that even I could not keep up with you. And I keep up with you 90 to 95% of the time because we talk. Are we going to time? Are we going to to admit how many hours we talk? I don't think we should ever admit that in public (laughs) or in the ladies room or anywhere or to ourselves or our husbands or anyone. (laughs) If, can you imagine if our friendship was in the nineties or the two thousands when you had to pay for your minutes? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right. Because people might not know, like we've never lived in the same city, which is really interesting. I know we did talk. I can't remember if this made it on a recording. We did say one time, how many times have we been physically together? 30 or less. Right. Right? For sure. And we've been friends for how many years do you think? So since the end of, we met at the end of 2013 and it's 2021 right now. So So math on that list. A little like seven and a half, right? Because it's June. I should know when it is. It's Riley's birthday today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've never lived in the same town, which is so interesting because I think it really is like has kept it. I mean, COVID didn't slow our friendship down a bit. I and mean, we not only we don't hardly we're not hardly ever in the same time zone. And there's been and sometimes times, not in the same continent. Right. Like there's been times when you've been in in, in Italy. And I've been here in the U.S. In fact, I like that because I'm like, I have you all to myself at these weird times when it's no one true. else wants to talk to you. <laughs> I have so many memories of like doing things with you where like I'm walking down the streets of Trieste and like who right. knows where you are. But yeah, right. I mean, our our friendship has existed outside of a lot of ever being together. physically. Yes. So we're not going to let technical problems stop us. Um, so anyway, Allie was, we were talking about this topic and we realized there was so much, I was actually grateful for the technical problems because we we just didn't, it just didn't hang together because it was just coming so many elements of it. So we've digested it a little bit inside our friendship. We're going to break this down. Um, but we also thought this would be a good time to talk about, um, meadow reporting. Yes. Meadow reporting, M E A D O W, which when Allie first told me about it, I thought was Meta, M E T A, because my software focus on things. But say what Meadow reporting is, because it's part of the diffuse attention. Yeah, that conversation. 
yeah, right. Essentially, I was trying to bring the whole meadow of this concept into the space at once. Like, here's this, and you need to know about this and this. Like, we're going to give you more diffuse awareness in the conversation today. But right, but say what meadow? Yeah, is it comes from Alison Armstrong and her work at PAX, um, which I discovered as I was dating after my divorce, and like Lynn was teaching me to flirt and falling in love with men and. Um, really like a very lovely, like pro, pro feminine, pro masculine perspective on, on so much, but she had this idea that women were traditionally, you know, gatherers while men were hunters. And so you can kind of imagine like that as an analogy, like needing to kind of hyper-focus on something versus like, wandering through a meadow maybe without protection like you need to kind of take in the landscape like those berries are right almost ripe in the corner and I think there might have been somebody from another tribe walking through here there was some bear scat like you kind of just need to hold everything that's happening in the meadow um, even as part of survival and so today that looks like in our friendship um, we often have to like meadow report before we move into other topics or productivity and we use it like a verb. So I'll say, right. you know, I have to meadow report you before we can record the podcast or I need or, to just give you the lay of the land. Right. Or even just meadow you. I have to meadow you. I have to meadow or you. This is, or, or we'll sometimes send long texts. This is what's from the meadow today. And um, just imagine how thankful our husbands are that we don't have to report to them on the meadow because know, we do it right. with each other so much. It's done. Yeah. And it's different from brain dumping. It's very different from brain dumping where, because meadow reporting holds the pieces together. Um, there's right. some connection between the pieces usually. And um, like brain dumping is more like when Riley was really little, she did this thing that we said that we used to call taking out the trash. Um, she would do it last thing of the night. It was like, she couldn't sleep until she just kind of regurgitated these things. And she would do it at dinner and she would just like verbal diarrhea, you know, for minutes at a time. And Eric and I would even joke to each other like, oh, is it garbage night? I thought it, I thought garbage <laughs> came on Monday because she just, so it's not like taking up the trash. Um, it's a little more. I keep thinking, I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, I keep thinking of this book that must have been like from the nineties, like, like a Christian bookstore or something that's like, women are spaghetti and men are waffles, right? Like, super stereotypical but those like everything kind of connecting um versus like everything in compartments is a little bit of the the idea tell me that's not a real title of a book no for real it is and oh my I, gosh. I like I said cringe right <laughs> like, ah. I need to I need to lie down <laughs> I, we're, we're maybe not going to be able to record this after all because <laughs> Lynn's gonna I, have to, I just need to lie down um <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't start talking about the church again because I read no, something no, no. from the Southern Baptist Conference this week and I was like, the fuck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now we all want to know, but we'll we'll save it. It was no, I can't talk about it. It was just too dumb. It's too dumb to talk about it. It was like a women, like women are spaghetti, men are waffles moment. Like, what is this really the conversation we're having? Right. Right. Oh, like, okay. Oh, I can tell this is one, how you understand your wife. Okay. The, <laughs> um, I, okay, I'll tell one part, one thing. So someone was saying like, I, let's really get down to what is the, the true divisions in the Southern Baptist Conference. Um, 
And, you know, where can we come together? And one of the questions was like, if your church allows women to teach mixed Sunday school, can they partner with my church? This is a question we really need to grapple with. I'm like, the fuck? Well, Why? What does that mean, mixed Sunday school? For- oh, men and women, right? So a woman is daring <laughs> to teach Sunday school of men and a mixed Sunday school. Mixed is the word he used. That's not me. Like, so say the you fuck. have say you have waffles and spaghetti should they be on the same plate (laughs) should you be eating them at the same time Uh, everybody's doing there's like this trend right now to put everything in the waffle maker and i it's kind of gross um and i think i did see spaghetti in the waffle maker so i mean maybe maybe that's like all of us joining hands in love around the waffle maker around spaghetti spaghetti waffle. while we're doing something disgusting. Yes. Yeah. It's really, that's part of that, like just visceral reaction that it makes me crazy that the church often doesn't even know people are having like, right. You have nothing to offer while you're having this conversation. Dumbass. Right. Okay. But no, we're not going to talk okay. about the church. <laughs> we know Plus, what I also about. told my mom, I swore less on one of the podcasts and she was like, looked a little relieved. And then I and then I just divert it. So, oh, I, well, I, I, she's going to be disappointed because <laughs> we're going to keep firing it I up. I think she's here. used to it. It's okay. Right. Especially. Uh, okay. But, okay. So this is a topic that we know for sure. We're going to do at least two podcasts on that. We've divided it up in our brains um, that you have alluded to multiple times. And we, especially when we were talking about identity. Um, and if you haven't listened to the identity podcast, please do, because we're not going to recreate the whole thing. Um, but the idea that there's some, some version of us, that's our true self. Um, God, I'm talking in that way. That makes me puke again. Um, <laughs> you wait are... till I start talking about belief. <laughs> oh man. And the journey. Oh, I, I really do need to get a bed in here where I record because I'm going to need to lie down. <laughs> You're gonna think the journey. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna vomit. But anyway, <laughs> so there's this <laughs> there's this version of you that's really the real you. And it's who you were meant to be, it's the shape of you. And the work of our lives is really to discover and embody. It's like you're already that person, but there's so much in the way of it. So you have to discover and then move into and become fully self-expressed because it's not just enough to discover who you are, but to actually express that out in the world. Like, I don't think your identity really matters as much on a desert Island, right? Like Tom, Tom Hanks and Castaway, like Wilson didn't really care about his guys. Right. Like I've been meditating about right. how beautiful my ass is. Nobody <laughs> right. cares until exactly. they see it. Right. Like exactly. it doesn't really matter. So it has to be self-expressed, but, um, so the next two podcasts, we're going to talk number one about individuals growing into their greatness, their strengths, their shape, their identity, and what the things that make that difficult. And then part two, we're going to start talking about more at the organizational level. I mean, we were even talking before that organizationally, that could divide up into probably five podcasts, but for sure, we're going to divide it at least into individuals on this one. And the next one, what does it look like organizationally to pull for that, for people to grow into the self-expression of their, their true self? Yeah. And I think it's two times. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it's probably also fair to say, like I have, you know, what's cooking into probably a book or some kind of distilled sections of this around it's, it's complex. Like there's chapter upon chapter teasing this out. So I'm not, we're not going to try to really capture all of that, you know, in one place, but pointing to what we consistently talk about lives in the soup and it's importance inside of what we take on and what we value. 
Right. Yeah. And I love that you talk about this as um, upstream downstream because it's not even good and bad, right? Like you can still grow into your identity anywhere, but is it hard or easy? And if it is hard, how hard? And it's hard even when it's good, I think is part of what's really important. Like we don't do most of the work, you know, a lot of times because it's hard um, and it's hard even when the system is pulling for it a lot of the time, right. Um, which it almost never most is. of it. So I, you know, I propose that like, this is the work of our lives, you know, with or without church, with or without business, with or without anything, you know, like we are meant to uncover who we are, um, and, and live that out in the world, but with or without personal development books, like without all of it. Right. But the reality is that most of us spend most of our time inside systems that actually make it really hard to ever get to our greatness and don't value our greatness um, as its own as its own thing to be lived out in the world. And that right. makes it even harder um, because you know you can't go to like you know a personal development thing for the weekend and swim upstream 20, you know, four other hours a day, most of the week and really arrive there. Although I think they're amazing programs. I'm not dissing that, but how much better if our systems that we worked and participated in pulled for individual greatness. Right. And individual greatness defined as your true self. So your greatness doesn't mean necessarily you're on stage, right? Like your greatness and your identity could be in some place that most people would never know about. And yet you're living out your full expression. So it's really more about being fully self-expressed because when I hear greatness, sometimes like it conjures culturally, like, and now I'm on stage up to the accolades. And there's some people for whom that would be like suppression of their self-expression to, you know, thrust them in the limelight. They don't want it. Right. It is that really, like I often refer to, like I have this prayer of St. Francis on my wall that says, you know, who are you? Oh God. And who am I just this discovery of like, who am I really? Like, what is there in me that is meant to live in the world? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, tell the, you were going to tell a story. Tell the Sarah story. Yeah. Okay. So, um, last year we, my husband and I were, we thought we were going to buy an assisted living facility and it's this little, you know, tiny, you know, like 12, 13 rooms, like, so get, you know, how small it is, like not a lot of complex management, you know, it's, it's, it's a fairly small system, but, um, we, we didn't, which is not the point of the story, but it was about a couple weeks before Christmas. And we had to kind of evaluate all the employees we had taken over managing all the all the employees and hours. And I think we had five employees. So again, very simple. Um, but they had hired an assistant manager who we had to kind of decide if they were going to stay or go because of some legal requirements in the state that we, that we lived in. So, um, I, I knew like within a week, I was like, this is totally not going to work, but I you gave everyone the strengths, right? So I, but I knew that just inside, like, this isn't working. And I didn't really know why, but I gave everybody the strengths assessment. Um, and when I, so we, we wrestled, right? Like it's two weeks before Christmas. I have to fire this girl. Like, this is not my ideal, um, situation, but right. I, Merry Christmas, I, Merry Christmas, happy new year. So 
but I knew. So I sat down with her and I, and I said, I would have hired you all day long on your resume. Like there wouldn't have even been a question, but if I had seen your strengths, I never would have hired you. And the reason was her top five strengths were all learning strengths and, and adaptability. So she's super laid back and able to go with like pretty intense chaos that most people can't, but all she really wants to do, like in her heart of hearts is like learn new things and learn new things and implement them. And and so she can operate at a really high level of chaos and stress. So we talk and I didn't know, right. She's never been fired in her life. And we talk. She's incredibly skilled, right? Right. She has this huge skill set. She has like, you know, two thirds of like multiple degrees. And it was, it was one of the more profound experiences I've had around this because she asked me a zillion questions when she left that day. Like she hugged me, which, I mean, if you had fired me a couple of weeks before Christmas, I'd be like, bitch, I'm going to light your ass on fire, <laughs> right. but there's like, no you're hugging. An idiot. But she, so really, I mean, I have to give enough amazing kudos to like the kind of person that she is, that she was able to go well, what are you really saying? And is that something I'm, I want to be up to? So, right. And, and be really clear, you wouldn't have hired her for that role. Not right. But I knew she would never be happy in a very tiny institute. There wasn't very much to learn. There wasn't very much to implement. Um, I was going to do most of the directing and choosing about systems, but in like a hospital setting or a very big setting where there was a lot going on, where, um, institutional knowledge needed to be continued to gain um, a lot of traction and speed. Like she would have had a ton to offer. And what happened with her is so she, t- she really took it on and we met a couple weeks later and um, we just hashed out like what, cause she said, what kind of, I, what do you think I should be doing? And I was like, I got to think about that for a while. But we met and um, we laid out a bunch of ideas. And then I talked to her a couple of weeks after that. And it hadn't even been a week before she had gone out and gotten a job in exactly one of those fields that we had suggested, like, could you go in and do this where you have to constantly learn a lot and then you're on the ground in kind of a high stress situations implementing and that drives more learning, right? Right. So she, and she loves her job. We like, we've become actually good friends and we get together, you know, a couple times a month, even though we don't live in the same city, but she has a job that she absolutely loves. She is endlessly getting paid to do different trainings and things like that. And I mean, this is the kind of job that I would hate. Right. But it's amazing because one of the things that I'm aware of is like, my work is in the mental health care field, for example, but I know if the right people are in the right places, those will make tremendous impacts. And her boss within a month of her working in this new job had her on a phone call because of the expertise that she has and the way she learns and assimilates information with our Senator who then wanted her to participate around how some of the COVID mental health care money was being spent. And I'm like, yeah, this is, and every time we, we talk, she jokes, like I could have been at that assisted living facility, like grinding it out. And now I have this job that I love and she's working hard, but she really loves her job. And the reality is every, every job she ever showed up to, which is its own system, right? 
they looked at her and said, oh, you could be great if you would acquire this skill set. And nobody looked at who are you and what do you already have and how do your skill sets come to the table inside that? And she was like, obviously a clearing for that, like that kind of feedback because she immediately took it and changed her whole life. And right. And, and that was what that, that first conversation, just to say how easy, how not easy, simple and straightforward it can be to right. like get someone going downstream instead of upstream. Um, or I guess with the flow rather than against the flow, because downstream sounds bad, but um, like that first conversation with her was just an hour or two, right? Like, Hey, look, this is your strengths. And yeah. imagine if that had been done in the hiring process or in designing the job or um, in her twenties or right. I mean, at any different point, I mean, I'm aware from talking to her, how many managers she worked with who said, you should go get this degree or you should go get this degree. Like you should essentially like go put your skills to use exactly how they look for us. And they missed looking at who she was right, and making that a win. And I think that's part of the, the value is now she's living in a system where most days she goes to work and she gets to um, hold up her, what she, like her, you know, DNA, you know, inside of identity and fulfill on that. And the world gets something and my world even got something that I wouldn't have gotten. Right. Because you guys are working together on on another project. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, one of the things I had suggested to her is like, maybe you could do ghostwriting, right? Like, so she's jumping in and helping with the book project, um, which is so funny. We love, like, there's nothing more fun, like everywhere we go when we're out in public, like people ask, you know, how did you guys meet? Like, we love telling that story because their eyes bug out a little and then we start into talking about systems and everybody has something to say because everybody has been in bad systems around their work. And they're like, can you do that thing to me? I'm like, yes, yes, we can all do that. Right. And she, distinguish. and she wasn't a bad employee. Like if you had had, if you were managing like a 200 person or even a hundred person or 50 person group, you probably could have found a fit for her at Easily. that yeah, because she was a good employee. She was talented and she probably could have been at least effective at that job, but she would have been miserable. But that of like, how could I keep you happy for 10 years or five years or a year? Like there's no way because there just wasn't enough to feed what in her should have been fed and cultivated. So she right. needed a different environment and going through that really hard thing, which she did most of the work of. Right. But of course, like I didn't want to fire her at Christmas but she went through it and she, you know, produced this beautiful result, which I'm sure is just the first of many, because now yeah. she lives with that distinction in her life of who she is and how she likes to work. And that, that is something amazing that she has to offer. Yeah. And now she's experienced. I mean, you, you say to me all the time, not all work is created equal. Um, and now she's experienced what it's like to like, oh, oh. I'm not going to go back to that other kind of work because now I know what this kind of work feels like. I would never, you know, never go back to working outside my strengths. Or if she did, she would at least know, okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and grind this out. Right. But looking for like, how do I really contribute? And now she knows how to communicate that contribution that she is into whatever, wherever she's working, wherever she's showing up. 
Um, so it's not something only the employer, you know, for example, should take responsibility for. Right. But the reality is most employers who are doing hiring are trying to fit people into and mold them into their system because they're already in a conversation that sucks <laughs> or, you know, or they only, less than it could be. Or they only look for, um, for skills, skills rather than, you know, strengths or preferences or genius. Yeah. Um, you know, w- the first time, I think the first time we tried to record this episode, I was talking about a company that I was at where, um, they took a bunch of people that they considered to be up and comers. And that had its own problem because most of us had already worked in greater responsibility than we were in at the current job. So training <laughs> wasn't what was missing. Um, and then they created kind of this, like, okay, we're going to push everybody through. And it's not that skills training is not important. Of course it is. I've gone through somewhere. I've gone through some skills assessments where they take, you know, 20 people and say, okay, we all need this new skill and it's great. But that was their idea of growth and development is we're going to teach you all these three skills, the same three, which most of us already had. And there was no looking at, you know, maybe this person needs development here and this person needs development there. They just looked like, like, uh, little automatons, right? Like little, um, you know, uh, I can't think like bricks in a wall or cogs in a wheel or however you want to say it, right? Like that everyone yeah. was just this generic, um, you know, like a manufacturing model for people. Right. Um, it, yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it becomes such a complex, it obviously becomes such a complex problem, you know, quote problem, like so quickly, because as we've talked about systems layer on systems, but, um, I had such an interesting experience. Like I mostly worked entrepreneurially over the course of my career. I worked in management. I, you know, was a, the youngest manager in the company for Einstein's bagels when I was like, you know, in my, you know, like 25, 26. Um, and those were all really good experiences. And I had, you know, leaders and bosses who poured into me and recognized like, wow, she's really good at this kind of stuff and gave me some of those promotions and opportunities and whatever, but my entrepreneur. So my experience in those systems was capped out really early because, you know, I was like, man, it never gets better. Like it doesn't matter how good I am at, you know, being an Einstein's manager, store manager, I'm always going to be responsible that the store opens at 3 a.m. And that's always, that's always going to suck because there's always going to be things that come up. Right. So thinking about having a family, I was like, all right, this isn't going to work long-term. And I knew I was never going to get promoted to be a district manager at, you know, in my early twenties, because all of the district managers were in their fifties. So I, um, I, uh, pivoted and worked for myself and, what happened inside that is I made a lot more money. I did um, a lot of really cool things. I worked in the nonprofit space. I did some things in politics. Like I got a lot of good experiences, but I never, and I had a lot of freedom while I was raising my family. I worked, you know, part-time or full-time or, you know, whatever at different times, but um, I never had anybody challenging me. And so I later look back and go, and thought like, man, I, I didn't ever have to push or grow into the best version of myself because there was no pull for it, even as a solopreneur. Like I made yeah. good money, good enough money. Nobody ever went like, hey, if you could like be nice to people. Um, actually, I wasn't mean to people, but like if you could really value right, people or if you were willing to grow in this way, 
you could really, you could have a business that was four times as big as the one you have, right? Like I was kind of living in good enough without knowing it. And, and you're starting now to talk about the, what I would consider almost the second side of this. So in the Sarah story, we were talking about um, helping people discover their strengths and start to move into them. And now you're starting to talk about like those things that are in the way, like kind of cleaning up your own bullshit, right? So your identity is not only discovering who you are and moving toward it, but also removing all the crap around it. Um, Like that's what you're starting to say, because I assume you're about to tell the story about going gold in doTERRA. (laughs) I should tell that story. You should, But, but that one's, that one's not even about your strengths and it's not about weaknesses either. It's more, I don't know, how, how would you quantify that? Like the shit that's in the way of your experience of being human. Yeah. I mean, I think like you've really already pointed to, it is both about like becoming who you really are meant to be giving your greatest expression to the world. Like I say, like giving your greatness to the world that, um, that process, it's really, um, there's as much to unlearn as there is to learn, right? Yeah. Like, and that goes around gender and workplace. I mean, there's like a zillion systems that fit into that, but there is often a lot to, to unlearn and we have to learn something in that space before we can add something new. Right. Yeah. But there is often a lot of clearing the way and that's important. Right. Because, um, inside the story that you're about to tell, this isn't, this wasn't even growing toward your strengths, right? Because this was more like empathy and connection, um, and people, and those are dangling at the bottom for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) not people in general, but not people in general, but like, I mean, empathy is empathy is in my lower 34 harmony, harmony, like all those things. Like, why would you do those? I have those all near the bottom too, but I have relater as my top. And I think that keeps me a little more peopley than you are. Relater, I think is my number six or seven too. Is that really? Okay. Yeah. They're in my, they're in my top, but like, I had a lot of stuff in my way at the time too. Like I was kind of dealing with endless chaos around parenting and my marriage and all the stuff. So like I was pretty hunkered down inside that, but it also lived for me. Like, why can't everybody just be more like me? Right. Um, which is, you know, I laugh, but painfully. Um, so the story that Lynn said I was going to tell, which I will, this is one of my most embarrassing stories for sure. You offer to tell um, it. I'm not just putting you on the spot. (laughs) No, no. It's, I mean, I will, obviously there's so much good in it. So, but, um, so I went, I eventually, I started doing direct sales with doTERRA and we'll probably actually talk some more about that company and their structures and systems when we allude to the company side of things. But, um, I went from, you know, I thought my husband was going to bankrupt us in our like startup software venture. Your ex-husband. My ex-husband. Yes. Thank you for my husband at the time, not my current husband who would never current husband. (laughs) (laughs) But he, uh, so I started, I started doing direct sales with doTERRA, which, um, I quickly, like it quickly confounded me and I fell in love with it because it was a different system where I could see that my own capacity was what was limiting me. It wasn't, um, my boss or, you know, the political landscape or anything else. Like I knew if I could expand my capacity that I could have a result that I really valued. So as I was moving through this process, 
Um, well, and you moved really fast at first. Um, do you want yeah. to talk about the belief pyramid? Sure. Because I uh, think this belief pyramid exists everywhere. Um, and I mean, it's essentially like, I mean, this is, it exists in different sites. I don't know what the, um, I don't know what the specific thing is, but the belief pyramid isn't only exclusive to doTERRA, but the way they tied it, the way it can be tied to the different ranks as you're advancing and what it, what's required at each level is super clear. And now I can right. take that into consulting with other businesses and say, here's where we're bumping our head against these beliefs. But at the time, the distinction in doTERRA was what was really important. Right. And, and then while you talk about belief, I'm going to lie down. <laughs> if you could just be different, you could have a different result. Lynn. You did such bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, so the, so how they tie together, if you can just kind of picture it, maybe Lynn can link this in the podcast, but um, the first level of the pyramid is like, you have to have a belief in the product, right? If you're going to sell the product, you have, a, have to believe in the product. The next is you have to have a belief in the company or the opportunity. Um, and after that, you have to have a belief in yourself. So I was obsessed with oils. I, I could see the company model working. I was like, I got all that. I love myself. Like I'm awesome. No problem. I moved right through those first three. Yeah, and boom, the boom, next boom. one, go ahead. No, I was saying boom, boom, boom. Like you did it yeah. in what? Yeah, months. it was like very quick. It normally yeah. and takes then, a lot longer. Right. And then I hit the next belief, which was your belief in others, which has, I mean, it, it just destroyed me. Like I couldn't see it. I knew there was something there because I could see the result of what I didn't understand. And I knew I was banging my head against it. Right. And, the, and, it, so, and it was occurring like. I, I can't believe in these losers. I need some better people to believe in. <laughs> I don't Which know that you said exactly is, that, but kind I mean, of I may did. as well have. <laughs> so what's funny is that I, um, you know, when I actually hit the rank associated with that belief level, none of my leaders was talking to me. Like, <laughs> and I thought it was all them. Like you all are a bunch of dumbasses and like, why won't you do the work? Why won't you do the thing? Like whatever it was. And, and today, like most of those leaders had surpassed the rank I was at that point. And a lot of us have fantastic relationships and the, and some of them are no longer around in my team. And that was, I mean, so what gets messy is like some of our beliefs are true, right? Like right. there were people who it wouldn't have mattered, you know, how much I believed in them or empowered them. Like they weren't going on that journey, but the reality was I was capped by my belief in what other people were. And that's where the story, you know, I started working with a coach and doing all this stuff. And that's where I had that um, moment of like, oh, when she gets fixed, like she's still going to have empathy as one of her strengths. And like, that's good. Like, she's not going to be like me. And right. I like if I just had, her. if I just had a whole army of little alleys, then I mean, it would be, be perfect. Wouldn't the world be so much easier? <laughs> well, they Just would kidding. all hit, they would all hit silver really fast. So you would then be then able to hit would happen. diamond, but and you then... would never be able to hit blue diamond because none of them would be able to hit gold. <laughs> no, they would all hate, like, I hate everybody. There'd be a lot of lighting people on fire and fury. But um, I, the process, that's what I pointed to earlier. The process was super, super hard because I had so much work to do. And there, I mean, Lynn, 
could would tell you like we were driving down on a trip one time like physically together in a car and like it's late at night and like i'm just in the middle in the middle of a very in the middle of a very stressful program like it wasn't just we weren't just driving like ali was doing this thing that doTERRA sets up to help you grow really fast and it's brutally difficult (laughs) so it's intended to kind of push you to your limits but yeah you were you were we were i was driving you across michigan while you cried and at that time too i was like oh god i'm about to kick you out of the car because i had my own growth (laughs) to do right around (laughs) compassion (laughs) i love you so much you need to turn off the waterworks girl yeah (laughs) and so it wasn't i mean it really wasn't easy but on the other side of that growth everything that was hard about it got way easier and that solidified my clarity around um that a lot of the really hard things that come up were were opportunities to grow and develop and in a system that highly rewarded the result of that growth, it really pulled and continued to pull me toward that, toward that what's next. And right. that's why I love the work that I do in doTERRA and why, you know, this is the work of my life around changing the systems that people work in, because if the system's a pull for people's greatness and there's less politics and less BS, the better and better individuals get to become their best self-expression. And that is a treasure. And it's not enough for me to talk about like post-capitalism or like that things produce more joy or you buy a pair of shoes and a poor kid gets a pair of shoes. Like we really need systems that pull for the greatness of everyone and opportunity of everyone and that the systems come in contact with. Right. Like by pulling for that growth, because for most of us, the best case, best case for most of us is neutral, a neutral system where we can grow and maybe, maybe it'll be good and maybe it'll be bad. But, um, in general, that's not the case. Usually you're pulling against it because, um, most of the jobs that we work in or, you know, ministries or careers or whatever you want to say, whatever the work you do in the world is, um, they don't really want that growth. They, they would rather have your skills. Like they would rather have Sarah's resume over her strengths. I mean, I've experienced this over and over, right? right. Like, um, and my husband's going through it right now too, where he's this brilliant scientist. I mean, just incredibly brilliant scientist. And for him to advance at his company, he has to do less and less science and more and more spreadsheets and PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. And he's so tired. He's just exhausted because and, and he does, um, he, he will like mentor junior scientists kind of on the sly in the scraps against the rules. And right. the, the company is getting so much value from him doing that. And he's actually gotten in trouble for it before. <laughs> like he did, um, he set up one of his junior people with this, um, not really an opportunity to fail because um, it wasn't a failure, but he wanted him to try this new thing. And so this physical thing that he had to do. And so he gave him a part that was already damaged. And he said, why don't you practice on this damaged part? And it ended up getting broken. And so then they looked at, okay, what did you learn from that? And then he was able to do it successfully on the second time. And so he was really pulling for this guy to grow and learn and not like what we're talking about, but to develop new skills and whatever. Um, and he got in trouble for that, which is just absurd. Um, and so he's in a system and, and, it's not just where he works. It's most places where to advance, you really have to do less of what you're great at and become more like generic, more automaton, more 
you right. know, which is again, not just about skill set, right? Because right. there is a place where like, yeah, you need X skills to deliver on X, but when it, when those skill sets pull, you know, away from your greatness or your contribution or your happiness, you know, all those things are so interconnected, your happiness and all that stuff. Like it's really, it's part of why, you know, we get less resourced. I mean, I, my focus is always on leadership, but when I say, you know, most leaders, when you look at the system, like the more leadership they take on, the more their life sucks. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that I know that good leadership requires time to, you know, mull things over and cook on things and travel. And I mean, you know, all these different pieces that really distill into the growth that it takes at different points. And when the system bakes in less and less of that, the more you take on, it's inherently cost. Of course, it inherently costs the system, but it costs us if our journey is around leadership and around contribution. Right. Yeah. Because leadership doesn't have to be like that, but it does really require space. Um, yeah. I think that's a, actually a great place to wrap up. Um, so I agree, that- but I want to say one more thing about it. You Ooh. said the best most of us can hope for is neutral. And I don't disagree with you about that, but I don't believe that there is a neutral for you. When you're saying neutral, you're like, you know, there's places where we can get away with it. There's enough resources to kind of also, you know, pay for some of this extra stuff we want over here, so to speak. But I don't, I don't believe that there's a neutral. I think we're either moving toward things or moving away from them in this this capacity. Yeah, I can see that. I I guess I was talking more about like a system that isn't going to actively fight you. Right, right. (laughs) The stream's not moving too hard in the wrong direction. They'll let you pull for it if you feel like it. Um, Like what I was just saying about Eric, um, a lot of him and his mentorship of younger people is inside, um, like we as a family have taken on a ton of personal development, especially inside Landmark. Um, And so his, you know, hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars that we've invested in his growth in Landmark and his communication and all that thing, all that stuff, that's what he's bringing to that. And the company, like, okay, great. Like they don't even know. Right. So that's not, and that's not even neutral, but I think that's what I was kind of saying is the most you can hope for is nobody will fight you (laughs) right? in the current, in the current system. I'm not saying inside what's possible, but for most of us, your best case is nobody will fight you. And will you tell the story about the company you worked for? Cause I think this is a great example of the company that you worked for that like, let you each have some time to do mentoring. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. Um, that's so great. Yeah. This was one of my favorite things. Um, and I'll tell specifically about the one guy. Um, so one of the companies I worked for, which had some of their own problems, but something they did really well is, um, everybody got a, a career mentor. So you had your regular boss, your manager, your review manager, and then everyone got a career counselor. And the only rule for the career counselor is they couldn't be in your direct line of, um, management. So you weren't allowed to pick your boss, for example, which, you know, that was to protect the the employee. Um, And so you could choose somebody or you would get someone assigned to you. And typically this was someone who was just a couple steps farther down the road that you wanted to be on. So you met with this person. um, Oh, it's not the 20% of the year. That's Google that does that. But I'm going to tell this story. Um, You met with this person a couple times a year and they would sit down and they would say, you know, here's some books you might want to do. And this wasn't even about strengths. This was more about career development. 
um, here's some books you might want to read. Here's, you might want to look for this kind of work. Um, you've done a lot of this. This is probably the next place for you to take on this, like more, more leadership or this harder technical thing. Um, and they, they were just kind of there to mentor you. Um, and I had a bunch of people that wanted to do it with me, which was its own fun. I loved it. One of my favorite things. Um, and I had one guy in particular and he worked on our help desk. So this was when I was still in software, obviously, um, he worked on our help desk and he was fantastic on the help desk, incredibly talented, um, really great at diagnosing problems, really good debugger, had some programming skills, um, could talk to the software developers, like he just super fantastic. And so when we sat down and I said, you know, what do you want from your life? Basically? Cause I, even I went off script, right. right. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to stick to their script. I had to go off script a little bit. Um, he wanted to get into, uh, he wanted to make movies and this was a, you know, a software consulting company, like we're, that's never <laughs> going to happen. Right. Right? It's never going to happen. But he was, you know, young, we were both in our twenties and, um, and he's like, this is what I really want to do. I want to make movies. I'm not really sure how to do that. Um, but, you know, basically, eventually I'm going to quit here. You know, this isn't my career, which I didn't have a problem with that. Um, I'm sure his boss would have. Right. But what we did <laughs> is um, I looked for opportunities with him for him to build some of those skills and have some of those opportunities. So we had um, the company was big enough that we had a training like a little training pod, I guess, not a full department, but a little thing. Um, and so sometimes when we had um, new things that needed to be taught to the employees, or if there was like a piece of software that had a training package delivered with it, and we would produce the video. So we actually arranged for him to have some opportunities to do some of that video production um, right there at the company. And then we kind of set up this path, like I'm, I'm talking with my hands. So we were like the center <laughs> of a circle. And then he was on this trajectory where when he reached the edge of the circle, he would leave, but we would get him on the right path, like rather than staying in the middle of the circle and then trying to jump all the way out. Um, so it was good for him because he was able to build some actual practical technical skills, try it out. And it was good for the company because we were able to retain him like 70% of the time on the help desk for like another two or three years. And it was this win-win because I bothered to say, what do you really want to do? And right. I didn't know about Strengths Finder or anything back then. I would have totally made the company give everybody that. Um, but just asking him like, hey, what what's your passions? Where do you like? And so that was a win-win for, for the company and for him. Um, because otherwise he would have just been, you know, eventually just quit, um, and try to figure it on, on his own. So, yeah. Right. I, and it's I such a good it. example because it's, it is as close to neutral as you can get, right? Like mm -hmm. you can use any, you know, if you can, you can use a lot of systems to work in a very proactive way, but you know, that was what 15, 20 years. I mean, that was so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the best example I could come up with in a 30 year career was, or however, 25 years. I, I don't, I mean, don't, don't age me too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but really, I mean, even in education, right. When you start to pull in from, even when you were younger, like the best yeah. examples I can come up with were, you know, a long yeah. time ago. And mm -hmm. that's really a travesty. And, and who knows if a different career counselor would have just thrown up their hands and gone, I don't know. I mean, you're gonna have to quit, I guess. I, right. Here's Almost some books certainly. about help desk, right? Like that was, um, I mean, it wasn't lucky because he was one of the ones who picked me, but, um, you know, even then I was bending the rules 
to get him what he needed, but the company would have, like, they would have suffered right? if I hadn't created that with him. Um, so yeah. And, and it didn't take much it, and it didn't take, you know, there, there was nothing taken away from the company that video work needed to be done. Right. Um, you know, it was just about moving him to a different chair. I mean, kind of like what we were saying with Sarah, right. If we had had only software, then my hands would have been tied. Um, and I but- think it's a good place to like pivot into our next conversation and pin where we are, because right. what I, what I've come in the last, you know, since this year started to really be very clear about is like, there are better systems, but ultimately if the company is all the company, anyone in power, whoever's using the system is only interested in their own result, and they don't care what the other person wants to show up and play for it costs the company, but no system can, I mean, any system can be abused inside. Nobody cares, or we only care about our own result. And that, you know, that doesn't go away no matter how good the system, although a lot of systems will devalue that um, in a way that most systems don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, well, and we'll pin it because we can talk about, especially the doTERRA compensation plan, how it's actually intrinsically set up that if you don't pull for others, you don't succeed, which sounds so Pollyanna, but is actually like black and white numbers. (laughs) (laughs) And my eyes are wide open and I'm blinking and, you know, waving a fairy wand, but no, it's like, they've really got, um, they've built something really brilliant. So I think that is a great place to pin it. Part two, we'll talk about organizations, whether it's businesses, institutions, government, whatever. I don't know what we'll get to because we never know until we start talking. (laughs) Um, I hope it's clear how unscripted these are. Um, and we'll do part two about that. All right. Awesome. See you then. See you then. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at a spacious life on Facebook, Instagram, and in clubhouse and find Allie at 5 billion entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm -hmm.